very pleasant good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along this evening as we kick back and talk about the Major League Baseball season coming to an eventual close here in about three weeks. And the Cleveland Indians are trying to struggle to stay involved in the Major League pennant race. While, meanwhile, the Cincinnati Reds are scraping to probably get a top draft choice. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But to do that, we've got to go down south and bring in our resident Reds expert for the evening, Mark Donahue. Mark, good evening. How are you tonight? Well, David, it's, it's pretty sad when you have Dave Mitchell, who makes Cincinnati Red jokes. It's because the team is so bad that we start off the show by making a Reds joke that like they're the Cubs. And that's that's how bad things have gotten for Cincinnati, but we'll get into more details about that in a few minutes. Well, yeah, I mean, that that's about all we can say about the Reds right now, and including the fact that the Indians, by the way, lost today 12-3 to in a makeup game against the Los Angeles Angels, which has really put the Indians in a bad spot as far as the playoffs are concerned. Meanwhile, the Reds right now, as we went on the air, are losing to the St. Louis Cardinals, Two to nothing in a series that really, even if the Reds swept it, Mark, it wouldn't help them out a lot as far as the playoff chase was concerned. No, it wouldn't. And you know, mathematically, the Reds I think will be eliminated. I think next week, um, mathematically. But uh, it's it's not just a bad season that we have to write off, and you can blame injuries, and I'm sure the organization will. But there's a more systemic issue with this team that I, I think uh, does not bode well. And uh, I, I'm concerned about when you look at the farm system and the people they brought up, you, you say, really? That's the best you've got? Because there is not one star there, David, that is that is ready to come and help this team over the next two or three years. And that that's a very scary situation when you have a – Team, a mid-market team that doesn't have the payroll to compete in the free agent market. You have to rely on your your minor league system, and the Reds do not have one. Absolutely. You're right about that, and we'll get into that in here in a second. Of course, Mark, this is the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. It is a baseball show. It's a show in which we talk mainly about not only the Reds and the Indians, but Major League Baseball in general. But sometimes things outside of baseball happen that require us to take a look at some other sports, and that's what happened today. And I, I want to take just a moment to talk about this Ray Rice issue and the National Football League. I, I'm really surprised, Mark, that it took a video by TMZ, uh, basically the National Enquirer of Television Reporting, to break a video that has caused the NFL such an uproar today and and caused Ray Rice to uh, not only not be suspended for two games, now it's an indefinite suspension that the NFL trying to CYA, cover their butts, as most people would say, uh, and and extend that suspension uh, indefinitely, but then it caused the Baltimore Ravens, and I've got to give the Ravens credit as much as I don't like them, I love Ozzie Newsom, and I think their front office did what they had to do in cutting that guy today, getting him off of their payroll, terminating his contract. Because really, Mark, when you see this video, it's ugly, it's disgusting. I, I don't condone any man hitting a female, no matter what the circumstance is, as long as it's not life-threatening. And definitely that wasn't the case in this circumstance in which Ray Rice hit his then fiance now now wife. Uh, Mark, it was just ugly, and I think the Baltimore Ravens did what they had to do, but the NFL really has to look themselves in the mirror and say, where did we go wrong? Yeah, that I saw that, and number one, I mean, this is an NFL football player who throws a left hook at his girlfriend. He could have killed her. Uh, he could have broken her jaw, or both. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I admire her for getting up, uh, eventually, but how could you marry a guy that would do that? It, the marriage had to have been a deal where, look, uh, I'll lose my contract, I'll pay you, marry me, and say you forgive me. I mean, why else would a woman go back to a guy who's 
smacks her around like that. I mean, it, it wasn't a slap, which is bad enough. This was a punch. And from an NFL uh, running back with about 21-inch arms. And I don't know the why he wasn't charged with assault when you have a video of it like that. Uh, maybe he was, and I've, I've not seen that. But uh, we were talking before we went on air that every sport, whether it's baseball, whether it's football, basketball, whatever, has to deal with off-the-field or off-the-court activities by their players. Now, the question is, to what degree do they legislate the activities of a player off the field as it relates to their position on the field? And that that's a very subjective line. And what's a little disconcerting is how it varies from sport to sport. You know, if baseball can suspend Pete Rose for his entire life for for gambling, what would they have done if he would have slugged Catherine Rose and broke her jaw or put her in the hospital or something like that? You know, it's an interesting measure of penalty, and I think what has happened with the Cleveland receiver uh, who has been suspended for the entire year for smoking grass, there, there seems to be no consistency, David, from from one act to the other, how these how these sports teams punish their players for off-the-field activities. Mark, I was trying to think earlier today. I, I can't think of one baseball player that has been involved in a domestic abuse case over the last few years. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Can you think of any? I can't, and I was actually trying to think of one, and, and, and I can't think of it. And you know, and I, I can I can remember a couple, although I can't put names to it. In the NBA, uh, I cannot remember one in hockey, although I'm not a huge hockey fan. But I can't remember any kind of notorious case. The only sport that I can recall it being part of is the National Football League. Now, is that because of you know too much testosterone or whatever excuse they might have? I don't know. But it is interesting how you can suspend a guy for smoking weed for an entire year, and then when he knocks out his wife, even though she apparently can take a punch, uh, he, he knocks her out, and the guy gets two games. I mean, it's it's literally laughable that kind of uh, penalty that you, that you have for something that egregious. What's frightening, Mark, is that. Roger Goodell saw, apparently did not see this video inside the elevator. Now, if that's the case, okay, but Roger Goodell saw the video that everybody else did that was all over the news of him dragging her from the elevator unconscious. What in the world would he have to have said to Roger Goodell, I'm talking about Ray Rice and his now wife, that would have convinced Roger Goodell to only suspend him for two games when she's unconscious. He's dragging her basically by the hair out of the elevator, and when her legs won't get out of the way of the door, he's kicking them out. Never mind what happened in the elevator. That was bad enough, but you didn't see it at the time. I don't know what in the world Roger Goodell had to be thinking. Maybe he was token on something like Josh Gordon, like he accused Josh Gordon of doing. I don't know. But in order to give this guy a two-game suspension, quite honestly, when he came out today, Mark, and said, we're going to give Ray Rice uh, an indefinite suspension, the very next sentence out of Roger Goodell's statement should have been, and I'm resigning as NFL commissioner. Well, a lot of people are going to be calling for his resignation over this. There's no doubt about that. And, the, you know, again, these penalties are have to do to some degree with the union because the union has to approve any penalties that are put in place. So you don't know what's behind the scenes of Goodell's ruling. And it, it's it, it's going to be very interesting tomorrow because I heard on the news tonight around 7.30 that a reporter got on uh, and said that Goodell and the NFL did see, they did see that video 
prior to today. They saw it several weeks ago. Now, if that's the case, uh, Goodell's gone because uh, th that is that that's absolutely unacceptable. And if if again, I don't know what this guy was on NBC who said it. Not saying that they're not they're not they're right all the time, but that's what he said. And it's supposed to be announced tomorrow that uh, the NFL did see that thing. Well, and one final thing about this entire incident, Mark. Keith Olbermann, about three weeks ago when this came down, and, and I happen to be one of the people that like Keith Olbermann. A lot of people don't. I do. But Keith Olbermann made a very good point that this entire case, had Roger Goodell been a judge, would have been thrown out of court immediately because of the way Roger Goodell handled it. And his, his example was, when Roger Goodell met with Ray Rice, he allowed his wife, the fiancé, in the room when he was talking with Ray Rice, and he said, as a judge, you know never to put the victim and the assailant, even if they're married, in the same room at the same time and discuss the incident, because the victim is always afraid of being re-hit. And they'll say anything. And he said that would have immediately led to it being taken out of Goodell's court and taken someplace else. And, and for that, he said, Roger Goodell should resign. And then after today's situation, he's calling for Roger Goodell's resignation. I happen to agree with Olbermann. I think Roger Goodell makes Bud Selig look like a genius. And as far as I'm concerned, Mark, you know, when you look at the unions, Major League Baseball probably has the best sports union in sports today. The NFL has the absolute worst union in sports today. Would, would you agree with that? I agree. I mean, I don't understand how the NFL gets away with non-guaranteed contracts to begin with. So, but, you know, whoever's representing the players is not doing a very good job. But on the other hand, the some of the rules in, in, imparted by the commissioner have been kind of head-scratchers. But this is a career ender if, uh, if, it, if it's proven that he knew about this photo or this video prior to today. You know he's got. He can always say, "Well, I didn't. I didn't see it." But here's the other thing, Dave, that, that was kind of interesting today. On the same news report I saw about this thing being seen by the NFL, they said that his wife has posted a tweet where she said, "I take responsibility for my part in the activities on the elevator." Well, <laughs> lady, you just got knocked out, and I understand why you're doing it because your husband. It's making million dollars a game, and you don't want to lose that money. So you're saying, okay, I'll take one for the team, uh, get the money. And if that's true, you know, she's she's to blame in a different way. Uh, not that she got hit. That's not her fault. But to allow this guy to get off the hook, that is her fault. Now, I want to say this as delicately as possible. I don't care if a woman smacks a man. I don't care if they hit them upside the head with their purse or whatever. The man has absolutely no business hitting the woman no matter what. The only time I can see a woman being hit by a man is if she's coming at him with a knife or a gun. And yes, she did hit him. Yes, they were having a fight. You could see that very clearly on the video. But the facts are, he had no business hitting her, not once, but twice. The second time with a left hook, and it caused her head to bounce off of the handrail inside the elevator. And Mark, she could have been killed just simply by her head hitting that handrail. She could have been killed. Well, we'll see what happens uh, coming up this week. It's going to be interesting to see what the uh, what the league does and uh, if there's any other criminal activity. But... Uh, uh, I think it's time to move on to baseball and hopefully put this thing behind us. And uh, as you said, let's hope it never happens in baseball. Let's hope it doesn't. Now, the Cleveland Indians, let's go over the records going into tonight. They lost today, so they're 74-68. and 68. They're in third place, five games behind Kansas City. Kansas City's playing Detroit, Mark, in a three-game series uh, today, tomorrow, and Tuesday, and Wednesday, I should say, they lost today. Actually, my hope 
is for the Tigers to lose three straight to Kansas City. Yeah, Kansas City's in the lead, but we've got no shot at catching Kansas City. We do have a chance of catching Detroit for the wild card. So my hope was that Kansas City would at least take two out of three in this three-game series. Because the Indians right now are four games behind Seattle and Detroit for that last wild card spot. Now, on the other hand, the Reds have really gone down the tubes. It's hard to believe the hard times that they have fallen upon since the All-Star break. They're 67 and 76 right now. Mark, they're just two years away from 90 wins in a season and winning the division. And this year, they're in danger of finishing in fourth place and not even garnering 75 wins. Dave, they're in danger of finishing fifth place. And uh, my hope now is they do, uh, because that means they're going to they're gonna sink below the Cubs in a, in a winning percentage. And honest to God, the, the, the thing you have to look at now, the Reds right now have the 20th best record in baseball. They have a 469 winning percentage. Uh, two teams behind them are only a half a game behind the Reds. That's the Phillies and the Padres. And the Cubs are about two games behind the Reds. And so the Reds, they could fall easily into the, a position where they'd get one of the top five draft picks next, next year. And they don't have to play any better than they're playing now to achieve that. So it's, it's going to be very interesting to see what this team does in the offseason. But uh, as we mentioned today, on our last show, I think it's typically after the World Series, uh, we'd like to present to you fans a very definitive strategy, at least from our amateur seats, where we are the general managers, and we're going to make five to ten very, very specific recommendations on how to improve our respective teams. Now, it's going to be easy for us to spend the money of the ownership, but I think we got to look at ways without spending a lot of money that can be done. So uh, I'm already making my notes, Dave, and I know you want to re- uh, improve the Indians, so I'm waiting to hear from you too. I'm trying very hard to come up with ideas on how the Indians are going to improve their club without spending money because you know, as a matter of fact, the Dolans are not <laughs> going to spend money when it comes to improving this ball club. That That's one thing that they're not going to clock which is what the Indians are concerned about. And once that arbitration clock starts, then they are closer not only to arbitration, but closer to free agency. And I'm going to tell you, Mark, the Indians are not the only team that does this. They're not. Houston does it. The A's have done it with a couple of their players. You've seen a lot of teams out there. The Cubs are not bringing up their they're, I can't think of his name right now, but they're not bringing up their phenom third baseman in the minor leagues just simply because they don't want his arbitration clock to start. And this kid, Mark, like I said, I can't remember his name. He had a phenomenal year. He hit over 310 this year, 40 homers, and over 100 RBIs in the minor leagues. And they're not bringing him up in September just because of that arbitration clock. Well, it, to some degree, I understand that. And it's to the certainly to the benefit of the team that that they make that kind of decision from a monetary perspective. What you have to weigh are two things. Number one is that impeding the development of the player. In other words, if they don't come up this month, is that going to hurt their their physical and 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 development talent wise? Secondly, is it hurting the team by not bringing them up? So, you know, the union has structured these rules. And the, the the major league teams have to live by them, but it, it's I, I don't see that in some cases the 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 teams have a lot to lose by doing that. Again, as long as it's not hurting the, the the development of the player. Now, Mark, you said earlier tonight that you you saw some basically structural things that were going on with the Reds, especially in their minor league system that you're concerned about. What what are you talking about there? Well, the the Reds have drafted very poorly, number one, over the last several years. And and, and the players that we have been hearing about uh, for the last three or four years, gee, wait till these guys get here. We're really going to be good. Well, they're they're not good. And some of the players have, have not moved out of double A or even single A 
And some of the guys, like, like Robert, Robert Stevenson, uh, he had a terrible year this year. He, he took a big step backward. Uh, Corsino, who's up with the team now, and he was going to be the next Johnny Cueto. Uh, he's, he's not even related to Johnny Cueto. Uh, there's a, uh, there's so many guys that you bring up on this. They brought up 10 guys, Dave, last week. And honest to gosh, I don't think one of them will be with the team next year. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. I can't think of one that's going to make the roster. Now, these guys are coming up from high double A and triple A. And they're not good enough right now to break into the lineup of a team that has a losing record and a team batting average of, of something like 230. And that tells you this team is in deep trouble. And I'm, I'm not being overly dramatic. I'm not the only one. No, you're not. I'm not the only one saying this. But if Joey Votto, Joey Votto was interviewed today, and he said he, he wants to come back this year, which is, ups, you know, insane. He won't come back this year. But if he comes back, he said, I hope I can be healthy next year. That's a frightening thing to say. I hope. I hope. I hope I can be healthy, because if if this guy isn't a hundred percent healthy, this team is in in huge trouble. Huge trouble. And the, Mark, if you want to, I mean, with Votto, why even take a chance on bringing him back this year? If you want to see if he can play, send him to the Arizona Instructional League in November and let's see what he can do. Of course. And then if he gets hurt, he'll be you know they'll blame that. But you're right; they, they should be doing that. He's got to be able to produce at 100%. This team has no chance. And, but, but, David, there's huge, huge problems here with, you know, Brandon Phillips. I know he's coming back probably too early. Brandon Phillips is hitting 128 since in the, in the second half. Jay Bruce is hit, hitting under 200 the second half. He's hitting 215 for the year. Uh, Zach Kozart hitting 212, 215, 220 all year. And... What do you? How can you build an offensive team with those kinds of holes in your lineup? You can't do it. And if Vado isn't there, you know, I, I don't know what you do. But at some point, you've got to look to the front office and say, "Guys, you screwed up." But I, I'm going to make a statement. I, it might surprise you. I would not get rid of Jockety this year. I'd let him twist in the wind. This is his team and see if he can bring something together to make this team a winner next year. It wouldn't be fair to bring a GM in now with with these onerous contracts and expect anything different to happen. It's it's not going to happen unless they get another you know, uh 50 million dollars into the con in, into the the payroll to improve this team that way and that's not going to happen. Mark, yell for your wife. I think you need smelling salts. <laughs> um, I, I I cannot see keeping Walt Jockety, period. You know what amazes me, Mark, about Walt Jockety's tenure at St. Louis? Is that when they finally let him go, when he finally left and walked out the door, with their minor league system in such disarray, with the, the, the club in such disarray, that they were able to rebuild things and rebuild that minor league system as quickly as they have into what is probably right now, arguably, the best minor league system in baseball. I agree it's one of the best in baseball. And, uh, you know, the, the, the Cardinals, uh, they do it right. And the, the only move that Jockety's made this year that I really applauded was getting rid of uh, J Jonathan Broxton. Uh, that's $11 million off the contract, but... You know, Dave, you're, that's going to go to either Latos or Cueto or Leak or somebody. Those guys are all coming up for renewal on their contracts. So you're not going to have $11 million laying around to go after and go out and get a hitter because all the money's spent. And right now this team is not going to put any butts in the seats for the rest of the year. And I was, you, you, you always talk, get around about hot dog night. <laughs> in progressive field. Yeah, dollar dog night. Dollar dog night. Uh, what the Reds ought to do for the last two series, which are home series, they ought to tell the, the people they can have 
anything on the menu is a dollar. As a thank you for the, your support and a, an apology for what's happened this year, all those things. But it'd be a, a good thing to do on a PR basis because this year the team the, the team really hosed the fans and the front office did it. Well, let me tell you what the Indians front office is doing, their ownership. They have come out with a press release about a week or so ago that said, you can own a piece of progressive field history. Now, first of all, the field's only 20 years old. As a limited number of the ballpark's turnstiles are available for purchase, Mark, the turnstiles have been used for 20 years and are a must-have for any hardcore Indians baseball fan and would be the perfect addition to any man cave. Now, I'll tell you what. When the Browns left Cleveland, the turnstiles, the bleachers, the bathrooms, the concessions, part of the scoreboard, part of the field, everything else in that stadium was taken and the Browns didn't charge anybody a dime. Now the Indians want to put new turnstiles in and what are they going to do? We're going to sell them. <laughs> well, I was down to a Reds game about, I don't know, three or four weeks ago, and there was a family of five. There was a mother and father. I'd say they were in their late 20s, early 30s. They had three young kids, and we were in nice seats. I mean, the seats were pretty pretty expensive seats. And I was thinking, and this this young family didn't, didn't look like they were, you know, financially that well off, but uh, the way they were dressed and so on. But uh, I was adding up. They had to have spent between three and four hundred dollars a night for that game. The tickets that we had, you know, the drive from wherever they came, the, the, the mother and dad were eating a lot of food. So were the kids. Uh, every, every time a vendor went by, they were they were you know coming up with eight dollars for a beer and uh, seven dollars for a hot dog and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, what happened where a family can afford to go to a baseball game for guys' sake? Mm-hmm. It's all about the Benjamins, and uh, the, the teams make so much money, If even if they don't win, that, there really is no onus on them to do so. The Indians have a concession thing that I guess has really taken off. It's a, it's a batting helmet full of nachos. It's a regular-sized batting helmet that they sell at the, the the regular stores they're at Progressive Field and it's full of nachos, twenty bucks for the batting helmet and the nachos and you can keep the batting helmet. N- not a bad deal, except that you can get regular nachos for six seventy five, and that hat for twelve bucks. So they're really charging a dollar and a quarter more than than what you could get it for uh, just by buying them separately. But that, that's another story. But yeah, you're right. It's all about the Benjamins anymore. There's nothing being done to help Joe Fan, Jill Fan, to bring the family down. And it's no wonder that these kids are turning towards football and basketball and even soccer because you can't get to a baseball game. The parents can't afford to take you to a baseball game and sit in decent seats. Yeah, I I was just... uh, and I I get... You know, I can go to a baseball game and I can afford to get what I want. But it's it, it makes you feel like you've been had. When you go down and you get a soft pretzel, you get a hot dog and a Coke, and it costs you twenty you know twenty five bucks. Uh, it, it, the food tastes terrible. It probably tastes ter- terrible because you're mad about it. And you know, I got my wife a beer at the game the other night. It was eight fifty for you know, like an eight ounce beer. You can get a for for twelve dollars I, I forget what it costs, or sixteen ounce you get you know, it costs a, a lot of money as well. You know, you don't save on volume. But the you could spend easily down there a hundred dollars a person easily at the ball game. And that's assuming no expensive kinds of, of gifts or, or whatever you're gonna call them. But I, I don't know how baseball can sustain this over over the long haul, and, and they're they're losing so many young fans. Because you're right, Dave. You know, we used to be able to go to a ball game and sit in the in the moon deck and get a coke and a hot dog for you know for three bucks, and that, that those days are long gone. 
Mark, I remember when I was going to broadcasting school up in Cleveland. It was the summer of 1980. Might have been 81. But I I went to Indians games every night that they were home during that summer. It was a dollar to get into the bleachers, and you could get beers there for a dollar a beer for an eight ounce draft. You could literally go to a ball game and spend five bucks, and every night, and and you could get in and have a couple of beers and maybe a hot dog, and and that's what I did. I saw that summer. 52 ball games. It's the most I've ever been to. And I sat in the bleachers out at Old Cleveland Stadium, perfectly fine. I was entertained. They were a terrible team, but I did get to see Earl Weaver that year come out and rip up the the rule book at the at the home plate umpire over a bunt call. Uh, it, it was a lot of fun, but you can't do that anymore. It, it's ten, twelve dollars to sit in the bleachers. And the way I understand it, Mark, if I'm not mistaken, maybe a week or so ago the Reds had come down night or sit closer night where you could buy any ticket in the place, but you could come down and sit wherever you wanted? Yeah, I think it was after the seventh inning you could do that. Um, it, it wasn't because, you know, many seats are occupied and people get up and walk around and they come back and it creates a, a problem. But uh, I don't know. It's Here we are talking about the good old days and it's, they're never going to return. But, you know, baseball is, is going to price itself out as mo- you know, you go to an NFL football game now. It's all corporate seating. Nobody goes up and buys a ticket anymore because they're like two hundred dollars a piece. And baseball is is heading that way. Yeah, and and you can't. I know when the Indians were in the World Series in '95, a friend of mine had season tickets. The problem was, he had season tickets in another spot. But because the tickets for the World Series were sold as part of corporate seating, his seats, which were down the third baseline, were pushed out into the bleachers for the World Series. He could still buy tickets, but they were in a different area. And I thought that was very unfair to the people that supported that team 455 consecutive times, but yet they got pushed out of their seats when it came to the World Series because corporate America had to have those seats. Dave, I wanted to mention something. Uh, I've been watching with interest the the Derek Jeter um, farewell tour. Yes. I wanted to get your take in terms of, can you recall an athlete in the last, well, the last 25 to 35 years that has gone out on top? I mean, I have, you know, Hank Aaron, I, I think, was the last guy to have done this, and Cal Ripken is certainly one, but... This guy has done just about everything perfectly in terms of his on-field activities, his off-field activities, his PR, his image, everything. He ought to write a book for other professional athletes to follow because I can't recall anybody since Ripken who's going to be leading the game with the kind of reputation that he has. Yeah, you know, that's a real good question, Mark, and 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 I was thinking about that. Of course, yesterday was the farewell for the Yankees held Jeter's farewell yesterday at Yankee Stadium, and we've got 3 weeks left to go in the season, and the reason they did it is because of the I guess they've got two more Sundays that they could do it, but the Giants and the Jets are either one of the other is at home for each of those two Sundays, so they decided not to battle with them, so they did it yesterday since the Giants are playing tonight. Um, I don't understand why they wanted to do it that way. I I think it would have been better off on the very last game of the season, but nonetheless, you're right, Mark. I think Cal Ripken was the last one. You know, I don't really remember Willie Mays having a big send-off. He was with the Mets, and of course they played in the World Series. Uh, that wasn't really that much of a send-off for him. Um, Willie Stargell, really no send-off. Of course, Roberto Clemente, he died and, and his career ended. Um, I, I think the last one, Mark, I think you're you're absolutely right, was probably Cal Ripken. Maybe Mike Schmidt, although I don't remember him going on a tour like this. I think he just retired at the end of the year. No, you know, it's funny you bring him up. I, I played ball with Mike. 
uh, in Dayton uh, when I was in high school, both basketball and, and baseball. And I knew him very well in, in Philadelphia. When I lived up there, he played for the Phillies, and but he was a very good basketball player. So we played basketball together at the Philadelphia Athletic Club. And uh, then I moved to Chicago, and I was at a night game at Wrigley Field, and Mike came up, and he was hitting about 190. And he absolutely drilled one of the left field fence at Wrigley Field. And then he retired that night. And he got no send-off right. And... Uh, it was, I think it was early in the season. It was like May, I think, or June. I remember it was cold that night, but uh, he just ripped one down the left field line. And even though he wasn't hitting well, I was thinking, wow, you know, the guy can still pull a fastball. And the next day he retired. So there was no send off. There was no grand tour or anything like that. Uh, but, you know, aside from the, the send off type thing, it's, it's the way that, Jeter has conducted himself that I that I'm impressed with, and man, he he is really this guy. He's golden, and he's going to be making he'll he'll make more money the rest of his life than he has made so far playing baseball. Just because he'll probably he could be an announcer, he could be a he'll be on the speaking tour, he'll he'll do anything he wants. He could go to corporate America as a spokesperson. He'll be he'll be representing companies on their products. You name it. This guy's going to make a lot of money, and he's done it the right way. He's done nothing wrong. You're at, you're absolutely, right. and he's even had different girlfriends throughout the years, and none of them will even speak ill of him. And for those of us who have had girlfriends, that's almost unheard of. <laughs> so well, you know, speak, I mean, th- speak for yourself. Speak for myself. David. Yeah, I, I had you know. high reviews, so you speak for yourself. No comment. I, I, there are things that are going through my mind right now that I could say, but they're not appropriate for family radio. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, there there isn't anything that, that Jeter has done, Mark, that you can look back and say, boy, is that a black mark, or boy, does he wish he could have done done that over. There's nothing. Everything that he's done, Mark, has been on the up and up. It's been honorable. He has really graced the uniform. And, and I would say that probably the only other guy, and I'm going to say Yankee, the only other Yankee that could match his stature would have been Joe DiMaggio. But even DiMaggio had his detractors, especially among Yankees that he played with, because he was such an individual that was rather stuck up. In the locker room. Well, not only that, but after I read his uh, his bi- his autobiography or biography, and I forget who wrote it now, but uh, it, it was he was not a warm and fuzzy guy. He was a, a very distant, cool. He was tight. He was cheap. Uh, he was money grubbing guy, and he was a great talent. Uh, and you know, but th- that's the difference between. If you read the stories about Ted Williams and Joe DiMaggio, uh, you would first say, well, Ted Williams was a jerk. But you find out what Ted Williams did, uh, you know, giving money to charities and, and working behind the scenes with nobody hearing about it. And, and Joe wouldn't do that. Everything Joe did, he did it for a buck. Even up until the time, you know, like a week before he died, he, he wouldn't sign autographs. He, and Ted Williams is a great guy. I mean, he just didn't like the press. And he, he got the press on the, his bad side, but uh, Joe DiMaggio was not a, a you know the kind of guy that Jeter appears to be. And you know we we have a tendency sometimes to build these guys up, and then you find out they're they're you know in, feet are in sand and they they sink before our eyes. But right now it appears that uh, that that Jeter should write a book and let most professional athletes read it. Okay, we go. We jump ahead, Mark, in the time machine, and it's February of 2020. Is Derek Jeter a unanimous Hall of Fame selection? Uh, I doubt it, uh, only because there'll be some reporters that won't vote for him for for one reason or another. Statistically, yeah, sure, uh, he's, he's one of the great shortstops, 
But there, there, I think there have been greater players who have not been first ballot uh, Hall of Famers. And what's going to happen in five years or four years or even two or three years when guys like Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire and all these guys, uh, are we just going to disregard their life in baseball? Barry Bonds is statistically the greatest player that's ever played the game. Period. So, are we saying you're not going to be in the Hall of Fame because we think you did steroids? We have indication you you did st- steroids, but there's no proof he did steroids. None. So that baseball, I'll tell you, they are walking on thin ice here, and I'm really surprised that somebody like Bonds, who could afford to do it, has just said, "Screw you guys, I'm going to sue you." I, I deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, and you're keeping me out. That's unfair treatment. And if you're if you're running the Hall of Fame or you're keeping me out of baseball, on what basis? Because there's no legal basis for it. And I think he's not done it, or other players haven't done it, because they're afraid to. I, I, I would technically agree with that. I... You know, I I wish Josh Gordon would sue the NFL to be honest with you, but that that's another that's another thing altogether. But I think where Barry Bonds would run into problems, Mark, is that it's basically a private entity, and they can let anybody in it that they want. That's true, but if they are putting unfair undue, you know, Major League Baseball does not own the Hall of Fame; it's a separate right. And so they are. Why are they not letting this guy in? There's there's no. He's not been convicted of anything. So are you going to have a guy who, okay, he he does something more egregious than that, uh, and he's allowed in the Hall of Fame just because people suspect that he, Barry Bonds, took steroids, and there's you know there's dozens of other guys who have are suspected of it. I, I just don't know how. If Major League Baseball would just deal with it and let them in and, and say, okay, we've set the rule now, a lot of t- you know, in some of those cases, they were using things that at the time were not illegal or not banned by Major League Baseball. And that's where some of these guys are so stupid, they should have said, yeah, I took it because it wasn't on a list. Maybe I shouldn't have taken it, but, you know, I didn't do anything wrong at the time. It's wrong now. I won't do it again. Shame on me. Right. Hey, it's time for our Ask Us segment. I know we're a little bit late on this, but it's time for our Ask Us segment. You can send in your questions every week via email to askus or dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com, or you can send us a tweet. Uh, my Twitter address is at ohbbcohost. Mark, Chris C.K. asks tonight, I keep hearing Walt Jockety will return as GM of the Reds, even though his contract is up. Why? You kind of answered that a little bit, a little bit earlier, but why do you think he'll return, Mark? Well, I think because he has he has created this mess, and in my opinion, it wouldn't be fair to bring somebody else in to try and fix it. Now, it'll be very interesting if they do bring him back for how long. If they bring him back for one year. Castellini is saying, okay, pal, you created this mess, fix it. If they give him an extended contract, then uh, <laughs> they get what they deserve because this team is not going to go anywhere, and it's it's going to be a very scary situation in the next two or three years if these contracts come, come to roost, uh, and there's no money to pay these players because there's no people in the stands. Uh, this team... You know, don't forget the Pittsburgh Pirates, they just ended, what was it, 24 years of not winning, uh, not, not even having a winning season. Right. This, this can happen. This is not pie-in-the-sky stuff. You have a whole generation of, of potential losing seasons when a team gets in this kind of precarious situation, which to some degree injuries can't be predicted, but you can predict the impact of two players, Homer Bailey and Joey Votto, getting $325 million. Three hundred. Let me repeat that. 
$325 million. Ten years of Vado and seven years for Bailey. That, that, that is a, right now, right now, those deals have been a mistake. Can that change? Yeah, it can change, and it better change. Because then you have two transactions, two deals like that, that can bring down an organization in terms of its ability to compete. And that's what I think that Castellini has to make a decision. Is Jockety the guy to fix this mess? And I, frankly, I think he's going to give him one, one more year to do it. And then I, I think he'll fire him if it doesn't, it doesn't turn around. But who are you going to bring in? Who would David, who would come into this situation now and try and fix this? Nobody. Oh, I think there's, I, I, you know, probably nobody that we can think of off the top of our heads, Mark. But certainly there are GMs out there that are willing to accept this challenge. I, I, I can't think of one that we would want that has some experience that would come in and say, yeah, this is a great opportunity because this team is going to win for the next several years. This team. Do you think that they'll bring in somebody with experience? I don't think they will. Well, I, I hope they don't. That's a good point you bring up. I, I hope they don't. I hope they bring in somebody who has a fresh look at this thing and can, can you know, look at the saber metrics, make some decisions. You know, I heard the other night that during the trade deadline that Jockety wasn't even on the phone. You know, he wasn't <laughs> even talking to people. Uh, so, you know, those are rumors. I don't know if they're true or not, but it supposedly came from the front office. And so... We'll see. So in answer to the question, I don't know why he's still here, and I don't know why he'd be rehired other than the fact that you got to let him, you got to let him try and fix it. You know, can you, can you think of a GM right now, Mark, that you could, that, that is existing, that is hired by a team, that you could actually pry away from another team? Well, you want to, in every, in every job that you take, you want to have a situation where you can take it to the next level. You, you can put your stamp on it. So what you want to do is get a team at the very bottom and bring it up. The Reds are not at the bottom yet. They're headed in that direction. But two years from now, th this team could have one of the worst records in baseball, and that's when you would get guys who would step in and say, yeah, I'll be your hero. And I'll, I'll bring them back to what they were back in, you know, 2013 and 2012. So uh, right now the Reds have the 20th best record in baseball, the 20th. That means teams like the Mets, the Rays, Miami, Toronto, all have better records than the Reds. The Reds only have a four percentage point lead on the Padres and Phils, and they're only two games ahead of the Cubs and the White Sox and the Astros. I mean, th that's the league. That's that's their peer group right now. And that that's a sad situation. At least the Indians are playing over 500 ball. And they have something to build on. But, wow, it, it, it's, it's a scary situation right now for the Reds. What about Joe Morgan? No, I, don't, I, I think he's been out of the game too long. Well, he's been in the front office for a while. I thought they were grooming him to, to do something like this. Well, it, it, you know, you could be right, but I think number one, he's what seventy years old. I don't know. He has his pulse on the on the. And by his own admission, the other day they asked him about managing, just you know, not general manager, but manager. And he says, you know, I when you leave the game, you you don't know the players like you did when you played against them every day. You you lose touch. I, I I've got car dealerships, I've got grandkids, all this stuff. He, he did not sound like he was interested at all in getting back into it. So I don't think he's going to be a candidate. And I don't know any former Reds other than Barry Larkin, who has front office experience. He probably knows the league. He's, he's very, very smart. Uh, he went to Michigan. Uh, he would be my choice for a guy in the organization or roots to the organization that you could depend on to come in and do a pretty good job. So he might be a sleeper right now, but uh, if they were going to look inside, I would look at Barry. Yeah, but Mark, going to Michigan's got to be a strike against him already. <laughs> Let's face it. 
Well, uh, anyway, I'll let that go. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll we'll let that one go. Okay, Walter White. Boy, did I like that show, Breaking Bad. Walter White says, "Can the Indians stay in contention next year with the same scheme of bringing in cast off from other teams?" Well, Walter, I'll tell you what. If they think they are, they're probably smoking the same stuff that you've been making on Breaking Bad for years. Because there is no way, Mark, that they're going to be able to bring in this this bunch of cast-offs and continue to pass it off on the fans as a contending team, not just for the playoffs, but for the World Series. That's what the Indian fans want. They want a World's Championship. And the, the favorite question right now around Cleveland is, what team is going to win a championship first? The Indians, Browns, or Cavaliers? And quite honestly, the Indians are number two behind the Cavaliers. The Browns are number three. But if the Indians continue to do what they're doing, Mark, with bringing in players that, like they have over this year, it's not going to happen. And Terry Francona is going to get tired of this cheap way of trying to put together a ball club and he won't be around in two years anyway. So that is where the Indians are going to have the problem. So, Walter, I would say no. Next year they will not be a contender following the same formula that they have this year. What, do you, what are they going to draw this year, Dave, in, in, in terms of uh, attendance? Somewhere just shy of about 1.7, 1.8 million, maybe. Wow. Yeah, it's not very good. And and the thing about it is, Mark, is that the the Indian fans are not stupid. They have the impression that this front office doesn't think that they are contenders. And if they're not contenders, why go out and see them? Why spend the money to go see them? And until the front office, I mean, last year they spent the money. This year at the trading deadline, the team did nothing, and the attendance plummeted even more. Um, so if the front office isn't going to do anything to convince the fans that they think they've got a shot, why should the fans believe that they've got a shot? Wow. That, that's just the way it is right now around Cleveland. They just have absolutely no confidence in the front office and especially the ownership. Okay. And finally, Homer Jr. asks us tonight, Mark, who is most likely to be traded from the Reds in the offseason? Is it Phillips, Latos, or someone else? Latos. Uh, I don't think anybody's going to pick up Brandon Phillips' contract. Uh, Brandon is, is, I hope, just recovering from the injury to his hand and will be better next year. But he, wow, he is slow. His bat speed is slowed precipitously, and he's still got two years left on his contract. Nobody's going to pick that contract up. Uh, Latos, uh, I think he has worn out his welcome here. He's made some comments uh, about the front office. So did Mike Leake. And I think either one or both of those guys may be gone. If either one of them is gone, I think you're going to see Chapman in the rotation next year. And uh, the funny thing is, I've not heard anything about Tony Singrani. Of late, I, I have no idea what's going on there. If he recovered from his arm surgery, but you know this guy was the new, the new thing here just a year ago, and, and he's been really just injured almost every game for the last two years. So uh, I think Latos will be gone. I think there'll be a market for him, and uh, hopefully the Reds can get a bat. Boy, a real promising pitching staff, Mark, which started out the year now suddenly appears to be in disarray with Homer Bailey being injured and, and Latos possibly being traded and, and maybe even uh, Leak being traded. Boy, suddenly the only thing you've got left is Cueto, Simon, and maybe Chapman. Yeah, it's, uh, it's when you look at what happened this season, it's really been un, unbelievable. And they just showed a – Sean Marshall was on, on the television here. And he signed a three-year contract, and this year he was in eight games, and last year he was in seven games. And this is your number one left-hander out of the bullpen after Chapman, or you know, before Chapman, the setup guy. 
and you, you go down the list of injuries, it's it's just been remarkable, and I, I've never seen anything quite like it. it it's uh, are the guys not getting in shape in the winter, or they're they're not working out enough? They're working out too much. I don't know the answer, but to have these kinds of injuries to to people who've been around for a while is really disheartening. Well, that's going to do it for our Ask Us segment. Don't forget, you can join us next week with more questions simply by sending your emails to Ask Us or DMitch at ultimatesportstalk.com or send me a tweet to OHBB co-host. Mark, a couple of Major League Baseball notes as we wind down tonight's show. Texas manager Ron Washington stepped down uh, a few days ago saying that he had some personal problems that he needed to address full-time. And, of course, the rumors came out that maybe he had slipped off the wagon and had a cocaine problem again. I certainly hope that's not the case, but I can understand where people would think that is a possibility. Well, I'd probably be on cocaine, too, if I had that team's payroll and I had the worst record in baseball by a lot. So that may drive one to drink or drugs. I don't know, but they've got a 378 winning percentage. And it's it's really amazing that uh, that team came so close to winning the World Series uh, two years in a row. And then, if you remember, they had, what, an eight-game lead in the last week of the season or something like that and lost. And, and A's came in and beat them out the last last game of the year. And it's it's amazing what happened to that team. And, uh, you, you know, you talk about bad deals and the impact they can have on a team. This is the, the team that signed Chu to a 10, what, what, 10-year contract at $140 million or something like that. It was, it was just a whole bunch of money. And, um, you know, one bad deal can, can put a team behind the eight ball, and that's exactly what happened to the, to, to the Rangers. Yeah, Prince Fielder. He's out for the year. Yep. Uh, you Darvish out for the year. I mean, we're just we're just scraping the top of the barrel, to be honest with you, as far as the injuries are concerned with with where Texas has gone. Anthony Larusa seems to be putting his stamp on the Arizona Diamondbacks. He has fired general manager Kevin Towers, and to me, I think that means it's only a matter of weeks, probably until the regular season ends before Kirk Gibson is looking for employment. Yeah, I agree. And it's interesting the uh the uh situation in, in Arizona with um Jockety. You know, he's an old fan of uh of LaRusso's, but LaRusso said that Jockety is not a candidate for the general manager's job, which tells you that <laughs> his stock has gone down considerably over the last couple of years. Well, and very quickly, because we're winding down tonight's show, you think Tony LaRusso would give Dave Duncan a call? Uh, again, it, it may be an age thing. I think Dave Duncan is in his early 70s. Uh, it's probably not something that he wants to do, get back on the planes and all those things. Uh, we'll see. Um, you know, I, I don't know if... Um, I mean, there's so many young, talented guys out there. I just don't think they're going to... Uh, go with a guy like that at, the, at this point. I, I don't. Well, we'll see what happens. Mark, what do the Reds have coming up this week? Uh, I think they'll probably lose six or seven games. <laughs> and if you're going to ask who who they're going to play, I'm going to tell you, Dave, it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, they're okay. playing St. Louis and Milwaukee this week, so you're probably right. Okay, I'm just going to say my point, that, that's my point. But no matter who they're going to play, this team is not – you're not going to win very many games the rest of the year. And as I said, for draft purposes, I hope they don't. And the Indians, they've got Minnesota with three games coming up tomorrow, Wednesday, and Thursday afternoon. And then they embark on their final road trip of the year. They'll play a three-game series in Detroit and then a four-game series in Houston. And then they go to Kansas City. And that'll be it. For the Indians, as far as the road is concerned, they wrap up everything at home after that. Mark, we'll be back next week. All right, David, you have a good one. You too. That's going to do it for tonight's show. Don't forget to join me Thursday night with the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. Mark and I will be back next Monday night at 9 o'clock with another edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell for producing this evening's show. 
Also, those who sent in questions for our Ask Us segment, but most of all, our thanks to you for listening. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Until next Monday night at 9 o'clock, good night, everybody.